Hey everybody, you're listening to the Poema Church Podcast. Today we're sharing a message from our latest series. We believe the Word of God in Scripture is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website, poemachurch.ca. It's obviously my privilege to be here this morning to uh, speak on, I think it's our fourth week uh, in the Wilderness series, not in a wilderness, but in the Wilderness series. And um, this week, I was, as I was kind of prepping and stuff, I kind of started making some observations on the scriptures, and uh, I, I hope that this, um, this little thing encourages you this week. Um, you know, maybe you're in a wilderness and uh, a little bit uh, about what we've talked about so far is kind of, um, you know, responding in the wilderness, uh, maybe some of the purposes of the wilderness, uh, maybe some of the, um, the setting of the wilderness, like what, how does it start, how does it stop, those kinds of things. And so I hope uh, you're encouraged so far in the last few weeks, kind of um, maybe recognizing, hey, I am actually in a wilderness right now and I need to kind of press in or uh, I'm not in a wilderness, but, you know, there's some things coming uh, up in my life that maybe might feel a little bit like a wilderness. I know there's lots of people that are going to be going to schools and colleges and different places in their life, and, you know, transitions are happening, and, and you, may, you might kind of have that sense coming. So I hope that this message this morning um, just helps you uh, plug in a little bit more and, and, and gives you some tools uh, to navigate uh, the wilderness. Does that sound good? Okay, are you guys distracted when I do this? It makes me feel like, I don't know, I'm having a great time, so. <clears throat> I hope you're not. I watched like two seconds of one of my messages. I was like, well, I was moving that stool a lot. <clears throat> Anyways, moving on. Um, so if, if you're familiar with the Bible or you're familiar with kind of like um, the, the Old Testament narratives, there's a huge kind of section between a few books called Exodus and Numbers and a little bit of Deuteronomy that has to do with this wilderness season that um, God's chosen people, the Israelites, went through. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but maybe if you're unfamiliar, we'll just go through it really quick. They were um, slaves, and they were freed by a miraculous moment, and, and God provided a way out of being slaves into being free. And um, this, this moment happens, and right after this moment happens, uh, it's the first worship song was, was written and sung, and, and the camp and the, and the group of people, they were like, this is amazing, and they gave praise to God. And they kind of moved into this new season, out of being slaves, into being in this wilderness, and this kind of like barren area. And um, if you know the story, it, it kind of um, devolves from there. <laughs> to put it lightly. So it kind of is like this glorious moment, and then it's just like it's all downhill from here. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever had like a really good moment in your day, and then you're just like, oh, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You have an amazing sandwich at lunch, and then you're just like, I got to go back to work, and it's all downhill from here. So the Old Testament kind of, uh, the, particularly the books of uh, Exodus and, and, and Numbers, they talk a lot about kind of like the, the negative things that happened in the wilderness. And it, in a... It, it was written after it happened. So I don't know if you've ever been through a moment in your life where you go through something and you, you reflect on it later. And uh, that's what's happening in these kind of like narratives. And, um, you know, the writers, they're writing this intentionally. You know, they're, they didn't just 
uh, roll back, their eyes didn't just roll back into the back of their heads and they went into a canatonic state and they just wrote all these things down and they came to and they're like, whoa, no, they, they wrote it with intention and design and, and so they're going through these things looking back at the, the history of this culture, right? And so um, what's happening basically, uh, and I'm kind of kind of jump around, but we're talking a little bit about right in the middle of the wilderness, right in the middle of the wilderness and right at the beginning of the wilderness as well. So I'm going to jump between a few books, so you can follow me if you want, but I'm a little bit of a scrambly brain, so just bear with me. But um, I started to realize that there was a bit of a connection between the, the Israelite story in this moment and Peter, the disciple. And Peter, the disciple, goes through all different types of challenges that are very similar to what the Israelites went through. Now, Peter, uh, the disciple of Jesus, he was one of kind of the main guys, okay? There was a few main guys. Peter was one of the main guys. And, and Peter had a ministry after, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He had a, a particular ministry that was stronger amongst the, the Jewish people and the Israelites. And so he would definitely think, feel, and act in a lot of the same veins that they would think, Right, And so his journey is paralleled a little bit with this Israelite journey in the Exodus and Numbers narratives. And Peter became, you know, Jesus renames Peter the rock, okay? And he becomes the bedrock of the church, the new Jerusalem, and the new Israelites, and the new Jews, right? And so Peter's, Peter's journey and thought process would be so tied in to that Israelite journey. In the same way that... God began with the Israelites. He continues with Peter and obviously the church. And so there's a couple of things happening. But one of the key moments in Peter's delivery was when things started escalating and he goes, he tells Jesus, Jesus, I'll never leave your side. And he makes these grandiose promises. And he's like, Jesus, you're the only one for me. But because Jesus is God, he knew the hearts of men. And so he knew, like in the Exodus story, that's only going to last so long. (laughs) It's probably going to devolve from here. And so Jesus recognizes that in Peter. And just like the Israelites, they pledge their allegiance until it starts getting really hard. And, And that's one of the things with the wilderness. Hands up, you caught me. Once it starts getting really hard... That's when it starts to devolve from there. <laughs> and so G- Peter and, and the Israelites kind of go through, through similar journeys. So let's talk about this. You guys ready? Okay, I'm going to start in Exodus 16. Okay, so this is, like, this is like one chapter after they've been miraculously uh, rescued. I, I think it's actually a few verses, to be honest, after they've been miraculously rescued from uh, an army closing in on them. And uh, Exodus 16:2, it says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled <laughs> against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food they wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people will go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Okay, 
Israel immediately became uncomfortable with the wilderness, <laughs> okay? So they're brought out, and they kind of sit there for, you know, maybe a week. You know, how long would rations last? A couple of months. You know, there's a few hundred people, maybe a couple thousand people, and they're out there. And uh, they're smart, and they start to clue in, like, wait a second. We can't grow anything out here. We're not going to drink the drinks. And, the, you know, the, the Egyptians were smart, too. They probably set themselves up against the only water source, right? There's not going to be any fish. They start putting the puzzles together, and they're like, oh, my goodness, we're screwed. <laughs> you know, they're like, nothing is going to grow out here. And they go, wait a minute, this was Moses' idea. <laughs> you brought us out here to die, didn't you, right? And so they immediately start to complain. They're miraculously delivered, and they go, wait a second, this is going to be way harder than I thought it was going to be. And so they start to complain, and they confront Moses, and they say, you're going to kill us out here, aren't you? This was your plan all along. You're going to take all the gold for yourself, right? See, the wilderness doesn't provide any assurances that the things that we're good at does. The things that we have the abilities to do provide certain assurances, but the wilderness does not. And this new beginning, this promised land, was starting to look like the impossible task to the Israelites. Okay, let's flip over to um, let's flip over to Peter's story here. Um, so let's let's kind of catch up on Pete, where Peter's at, right? So Peter loves Jesus. Then everything goes awry, right? Jesus is killed uh, at the hands of you know the courts. Blah, 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 blah. He is, Peter's terrified, right? Everything he thought was going to happen starts to look like, wait a second, nothing's going to grow out of this. And so this is what happens. Um, Simon Peter, so this is John 21, 2 and 3. So Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others uh, were together. Okay, so... They're hanging out, basically, and um, Simon has this idea, and he's like, I'm going to go fishing, and that's because that's what, I, that's what Simon Peter did as a career, and he's like, I'm going to go fishing. Everything is falling apart. I'm, I'm going to go fishing, and I'm going to see, you know, what I can do from there, and they say, uh, we'll go with you, and they went out and got on the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Peter's sentiments were the same as Israel's. He looked out into the situation and went, nothing is going to grow from here. This whole thing was a farce. He brought us out here to die. We're stranded. We're socially stranded. We, we, We went on this journey with him, and he's left us with nothing. So Peter is like, I'm going to go back to what I'm good at, fishing. And so he's like, saddle up, guys. We're going out, and we're going to go get some money. Because that's the idea there. He's not just going fishing to, like, hobby. He's going fishing to, like, restabilize his life. We know that uh, Jesus goes to Peter, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. This implies that Peter was probably married. Okay, he's got a family. He's got things to take care of, right? He goes out to go, let's, let's, let's kickstart the, uh, the, old, the old shop, right? He goes out because he's realizing, I have to start fending for myself, because I've been brought out to this place that God's clearly not going to provide for me. Joke's on him. Ha, 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 ha. 
Th those are the doubts that start to creep into our mind, right? When we're in a wilderness, like, oh, this is getting weird. Maybe I shouldn't uh, volunteer on a Sunday and I should just get a second job because it's hard out here. Or, you know, maybe I shouldn't participate in this and that because I need what I need. And, and that's the temptation when you start to feel like God's not around or he's led you to a place where there's nothing, nothing's going to grow here, right? And so we want to just start taking things into our own hands. The same with the Israelites. They were like, Moses, you let us out here. There's actually another verse in Numbers where they're like, we're actually going to get a bunch of leaders together. We're going to choose a new leader. And they literally start trying to take things into their own hands. Jesus, to, to the disciples, the promised land was the kingdom of God. Jesus constantly talked about this new kingdom, new kingdom, new kingdom, new kingdom. And they were looking for some sort of Jesus-like political takeover, and they never got it. And the thing is, is the promised land to the Israelites and the kingdom of God to the disciples are kind of like, this, they're like paralleled. They're parallel ideas in the sense that there's something coming that will be greater than what you have now. And so Peter, again, he's starting to look out and saying, there's no kingdom of God. This was a farce. And the Israelites, same thing. There's no promised land. This is a desert. You said promised land, right? The attitude that Peter goes out to fish isn't the attitude that we can take when we're in the wilderness. He goes out to go figure things out for himself and start to be like, I'm going to create my own stability. He's not waiting on the Lord. Okay, so there's a difference. There's a difference of being like, I'm just going to consistently do my thing and wait for God to respond, and I'm going to take things into my own hands. There's two, two totally different heart postures, right? And so, again, Israelites trying to take things in their own hands. Peter trying to take things into their own hands. There's a difference between doing what you know is right now and waiting for God to answer. Two totally different things. But it's natural, so don't beat yourself up. So it's natural to want to take care of our natural needs right? Totally natural. This is the challenge of being a Christian. And the beauty, in my opinion, of being a Christian is you're taking on a different type of challenge in your life. And God is calling us to, to process the world in a different way. You know, it's very natural to go through this idea of like, my family first and blah, 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 blah. Those things are natural. The thing is, is God is calling us to a different standard, just in the same way that he was calling the disciples to a new standard, and he was calling Israel to a new standard. Okay, so continuing in John. Uh, a couple verses down. You guys with me? Okay, so you're imagining this scene. Peter takes his buddies, they're out on the shore, or they're out on, on, on the water. All of a sudden, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, have you caught any fish? And they answered, no. Okay, so let's stop there. So that line, children, have you caught any fish? Um, I was reading a commentary. It's really interesting. He said that it's kind of like the word children there is more like, um, it's more chummy than patronizing. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you walk into a room and there's a group of teenagers and you say something like, children, what are you doing, okay? <laughs> They're going to be like, I'm taller and stronger than you. What are you talking about, right? But if you came in and said, hiya, lads, how's it going? Two totally different tones. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So this line here is almost more like Jesus saying, hey, lads, have you got any fish? Not so much, 
Little children, have you figured it out? <laughs> I know they don't have any fish, right? Jesus isn't patronizing them. He's saying, hey, lads, how's it going out there? So one of the interesting things here is this idea of fish. Okay, so when we think of fish, we think of it as just kind of like an option. Okay, back then, they didn't have as much food option as we do. So you could have just said, do you have any meat? Do you have any food? Do you have anything out there to eat? Right? Like, what I'm trying to say here is like any meat at all was provision because they didn't have the food resources that we have now. So I'll get to why that's important. Idea here, though, is that Jesus is calling out to them to see if what they're doing is working. And they're like, no, it's not. Okay, and if you're familiar with the narrative, this has actually happened before to the disciples. But here's the beautiful thing. This also happened to the Israelites. Okay, they had no food, and they were out there, and they're like, God, we just want some meat to eat. What did God do? He provided the meat. Let's keep reading. They answered him, no, and he said, cast, it to the, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. There they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. At that moment, the disciple who uh, Jesus loved, John, talking about himself, said, therefore, uh, said to Peter, uh, it is the Lord. Here's, here's a hilarious thing about, about this, and this is where the contrast to Israel starts to change. John and Peter go, oh my goodness, it's the Lord. Israel, we're like, oh, this is too much meat now. Ugh, what is happening? Oh, this is smelly. This stinks. They had no humility in the wilderness because they still thought they were going to get theirs. But Peter and John were humble and smart enough to realize, oh my gosh, I've seen this before. They're making two connections. It's happened before in their life, and it's happened before in the Holy Scriptures. And they're going, oh my gosh, he's a God that provides. That's the guy who provides. This is the thing. In the wilderness, it's a place of God's leading, but it's also a place of God's sustaining. He's going to sustain you in the wilderness. You got to ask, <laughs> and then you got to be humble when it arrives. And, and what's, what's happening to these guys right here in the water, in this moment, they're getting more meat than they could possibly ever need. The, the nets are bursting at the seams. Just like in the Israel, Israelite story, there's a, there's a scene where all this quail just starts falling out of the sky, and they have so much meat, and they, eat, they, they make themselves sick on the food they're eating. Point being here, though, is that in your wilderness, God is going to provide but are you going to recognize it as the Lord? Or are you going to keep complaining because it's not quite what you thought it was going to be? Right? So if you're in that wilderness season, what is God actually providing to you right now? Is he providing for you? I bet he is. I would be willing to wager, according to the scriptures and what I understand of them, he probably is providing for you in that moment. He provides. Here's the deal, though. When God provides... He provides out of his goodness and out of his grace, out of his mercy, but also out of his justice. And so typically, he'll provide with instruction. Right? Again, in the Old Testament, 
What did we read earlier? Okay, follow my instruction. I'll provide, follow my instruction. Same thing. So Peter, um, I don't know if this was a smart move or a bad move, but he basically puts his jacket on and then jumps into the water. Okay, scholars are split on whether that was a good idea or not. Most times, in, especially in ancient times, you want to be wearing less clothing when you jump into the water, not more. Okay, so Peter jumps into the water, and he goes back to the shore, and he, and he recognizes that that has to be the Lord because of the provision. Let's jump back. Uh, let's ju- jump back into uh, the story here. Sorry, no, I'm getting confused in my notes. Yeah, so like I said, God provides, they head to shore. Next, what happens to Peter is he gets instructions. And it's the exact same thing as the Israelites. Okay, so let's jump back in. John 15. So they get to the shore. I'll just we'll set the scene, okay? You can use your imaginations if you want. You can have, what, what kind of style of art do you have in your mind? Is it like Renaissance? Mine's like 8-bit, you know, like Super Mario. <laughs> and they're kind of like, deep, deep, deep. Anyways. They get back to this cool, like, beach hangout. You know, sun's coming up. It's all chill. They're all kind of, like, hot, sweaty, probably, you know, making breakfast, chilling on the beach. Okay, Jesus takes the fish, and he starts making breakfast. How cool is that? Do you think Jesus is a good chef? Probably. Um, so he starts putting all this stuff together, and they're, they're eating, and it's really funny because actually in the scripture, it literally just says they just kind of sat there like kind of awkwardly and quietly. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever had, like, you know, if, you ever, if you're married and you've fought with your spouse or whatever, and then you're kind of like, you're kind of like over the fight, but you're still just kind of like sitting there for a couple of minutes, and you're just kind of like, is it good? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Enough salt? Yeah, it's enough salt. Enough salt. <laughs> and so they're sitting there, and it literally says, like, no one dared say anything, because they all knew, like, the, they all knew what they were guilty of, and they all kind of knew that they left the guy high to dry, right? Obviously, Jesus' response is, is, is beautiful, and it's his response to us when we respond to him. It says, when, he, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you already know that I love you. And he said to them, feed my lambs. Okay, that's an instruction. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend to my sheep. Slightly different, also an instruction. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Let's just stop right there. If that had been Israel's response, I bet you they would have immediately gone to the promised land. God, you know everything. You know I'm a cosmic screw-up, and I love you. Lord, please let that be my response in the wilderness. God, you know everything. God, what am I supposed to do next? What am I doing now? 
should I, should I have said that? Should I have not said that? God, like, what? You know what, God? Actually, you know everything. You know everything. And I love you. May that be my response when I'm in the wilderness. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was said by what kind of death he was to have to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow my instructions. It's all over Exodus. It's the same God. It's the same guy. And he's telling Peter, follow me. I know that you love me. Feed my sheep. Here's some instruction. Tend to my lambs. Feed my sheep. Do what I'm telling you to do right now and just follow me. Follow me out of this wilderness because I'm going to provide the fish that you need. I'm going to provide the meat that you need. I'm going to provide the bread that you need. I'm going to provide everything that you need. But you've got to follow me. You've got to follow God in the wilderness. That is the lesson of the wilderness. Put you aside and follow God. In that moment, that, that's a very famous moment in the, in the Christian sort of world because Peter totally goofed. He totally messed up his relationship with, with Jesus. And Jesus calls him back and says, it's okay, come back. But let's be honest, it does take a little bit of effort and humility on Peter's part. God's not just going to call you back and you're just going to keep doing you. I'm just going to do me, man. Like, that's not how it works. You've got to change. You've got to be the one that says, Lord, you know everything. Please, can I continue to be a part of your team? Please, can I just, can I come back into the fold? It takes a part of our will to engage with God's calling in order for us to navigate these wildernesses that we go through. It takes action. When I say will, I mean doing things. I don't mean just like thinking about things. I mean actually doing things, actually kind of jumping out of the boat, as scary as the boat, because the boat gives you stability. It, it probably has something to do with your abilities. It probably has something to do with your talents and your skills. Everything inside the boat, proverbially, is you. And you've got to abandon your you and your identity, jump back into the water, you know, you can wear a jacket if you want. I'd suggest against it. But you can jump back into the water and you can head towards shore and allow God to give you some new instructions. Or you can stay in the boat. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to be what God's calling you to do. Now, it might be easier. It might be more stable. It might be more financially successful. Sure, that's fine. But as a Christian, what do you want to do? Because my heart is to follow God's instruction. My heart is to follow what God's calling me to do. Right now, God's calling me to, to minister to, to church campuses. That's what God's calling me to do. And, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to get any sympathy points, but, like, it's not as easy as it looks. Like, you, you have to prep. I have a full-time job. You know, I, I, I'm a working person who does this on the side to minister to people, and I love it. It's my passion. Passion in the Latin means things that you're willing to suffer for, right? What are you willing to suffer for, right? The things that you love. I'll suffer for golf. It was hot yesterday. I was out there. Got sunburned a little bit. It was great. My passion. I'll suffer for it, right? Everyone's like, I don't feel bad for you. But you get my point, right? What are you willing to suffer for? What are you willing to pursue in your passions? 
one of the things that I'm orienting my heart every day towards is what is God calling me to do? How can I make that my passion? How can I take what Christ is calling me to do next and make that the thing that I'm willing to suffer for? I'll finish with this. In, in John 17, um, Jesus has a prayer uh, for the disciples and for all believers. It's really, really beautiful, and I suggest going to read it. And um, the whole point of that prayer is to basically call everyone back to relationship to him, and that we would be supernaturally sustained through the challenges and the wildernesses that we're going to go through. And it's, it's this beautiful prayer from Jesus Christ's own mouth about how much the believer matters to him. And one of the things about your relationship with God is it takes discipline as much as it takes love, just like any relationship. It takes discipline to be consistent. It takes discipline to serve my spouse. Discipline by, by meaning it takes my actions to do the things I don't really want to do in order to serve the person that I care about. And, and God is ministering to the disciples. Jesus is ministering to the disciples through this prayer. And, and one thing that I'm learning to do, and this is part of my journey, and, and maybe, maybe you're on this road too, but how can I make my prayer life more structured. And what I mean by that is, should, can I read a scripture every day? Can I say the Lord's Prayer every day? Can I, can I engage with my discipline over the things that I just feel like doing, right? And I think that's one of the things about Christ's mission for the believers, to, be, to continue to grow in our heart for him, is it takes discipline. It takes Reading the, reading the word, praying a prayer from the, from the scriptures that we don't necessarily feel like doing. These are the things that as the wilderness tries to overtake us, those are the things that are actually going to keep us going. And what's beautiful about that is it, it isn't always necessarily a path out of the Red Sea. It isn't always a miraculous moment where everything just happens to align and it's like, oh my gosh, God was amazing in this moment. Sometimes it's like Monday through Friday, just like praying every day. Sometimes that's the navigation out of the wilderness. What God was looking for, what Jesus was looking for in Peter was, hey, look, I know you're a screw up. It's all good. Feed my sheep. What, is that? what did that look like to Peter? Probably not quitting, <laughs> right? Probably just showing up. Probably being like, hey, let's figure this out together. Probably having tough conversations, right? Feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. What does that look like? What does that look like in my life? What does that look like in your life? I have no idea what it looks like in your life. But all I'm saying is, is that through this thing, we're going to doubt. We're going to have moments where we think it's, we're too far gone. We're going to have moments where we think God's not there. And here's the difference between Peter and Israel, and I'll just leave you with this, is ultimately Israel, they let their doubt turn into rebellion. 
slowly over time, they just, their doubt turned into, I don't, want to, I don't want anything to do with this God anymore. And the difference between Peter is Peter turned his doubt into whole reliance. He wholly relied on God because he had those doubts. And you can allow your doubts to go this way and turn into rebellion, or you can have your doubts turn into, I just need more of you, God, because you know everything. And so as you're navigating your wilderness, it's okay to doubt. You're going to doubt. I, I guarantee it. Um, St. Augustine, he's a, a famous writer and ch- church father. He, he was plagued with doubt. One of the greatest Christian writers ever plagued with doubt. But he never let his doubt turn into rebellion. Because he recognized the more I move away from God in the way that I act, the more I'm going to be less like who Christ is calling me to be. And that's not who I want to be. And so he turned his, he, he desired and, and, and worked through his doubt to turn his doubt into his passions. And he started to go, what will I suffer for? The cause of Christ. And he moved the scale towards that through his will and through his actions. So I hope that that this morning encourages you. I hope that that this morning, maybe some light bulbs go off in your mind in situations that you might have found yourself in. And I hope that prophetically, when you find yourself in those places in the future, this series comes back to mind. And these messages come back to mind. And these things about what Christ says come back to mind. And his holy scriptures comes back to your heart. And you go, actually, this is where I need to head. Not this direction, but that direction. Amen? Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you in prayer? I'm done. See that? 30 minutes. <laughs> so someone's clapping at the back like, it's summertime, hurry up. I deserve a cheeseburger. <laughs> uh, Holy Father, we just, um, we humble ourselves in front of you in your presence this morning. You're so good, and your mercy is so rich. And we ask right now, uh, collectively, to show us the areas where we need to lean into you and leave ourselves behind. God, help us to have the courage to jump out of the boat, out of our abilities, and out of the things that have stabilized our lives towards what you are calling us to do. God, we want to feed your sheep. We want to tend to your sheep because we love you. And you know everything about our hearts already. And so we ask that you would begin to illuminate the things that we need to change in these seasons. Whether we're in a wilderness or we're headed for a wilderness, God, illuminate the places that you want from our hearts. And we ask humbly to forgive us, to love us, and to shower us in your mercy and your grace this morning. God, I ask that you would bless every single person who can hear the sound of my voice this week as they go about their day, as they go about their comings and goings, God, may it be a blessed week, and that may your presence feel ever more closer to them in their hearts and in their minds and in their decisions and in their life, God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website, poemachurch.ca.